welcome to this edition of TBU Bat Books for Beginners, episode 153. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. Today's back book is City of Light, written by the Pander Brothers, who also penciled the books with Alvaro Lopez on inks. And this covers the issues of City of Light numbers one through eight. So, Chris, tell, uh, tell everybody a little bit about this book. Thank you very much, Jerry. Batman City of Light, as Jerry said, was an eight-issue monthly limited series. Issue number one was cover dated December 2003, and the cover price was $2.95 back then. From some additional historical context, also cover dated the same month and year was Batman number 620, which was part one of Broken City a story that Jerry and I reviewed on a previous podcast. Mm -hmm. Also, one of my favorite writers, Devin Grayson, was working on the Nightwing title at this time. And Marvel Comics released Amazing Spider-Man number 500. Okay, so, who are the Pander brothers that Jerry mentioned? They are Jacob and Arnold Pander. The first credited work that I could find them on was a Grendel comic called Grendel Devil's Legacy from Dark Horse Comics. I dug a little more and found that they have their own website. So I'll quote a few things from their site with respect to their work. Jacob and Arnold Pander are graphic novelists and filmmakers who write and direct feature films, commercial spots, and music videos. Their award-winning films have been played in festivals around the globe, and their music videos have been featured on MTV. The Pander Brothers' original graphic novels have been published by Image, Vertigo, Dark Horse, Oni Press, and franchise projects for Marvel and DC Comics, including Batman and Night Masks. Uh, the Pander Brothers' visual storytelling has been nominated for Eisner and Manning Awards for groundbreaking artwork in the comics medium. In 2015, the brothers launched their own digital comics imprint called Fuse Comics, available on Comicology, and their new production company for commercial and creative branding, Collaborator Studios. Uh, let's see. Mark Penicia was also credited with having a hand in writing this. He now appears to be a group editor at Marvel Comics, last I looked. Uh, Alvaro Lopez is also mentioned in the art credits. Moose Bauman was the colorist on this, and his name I wasn't immediately familiar with, but I did some research, and he's a longtime colorist veteran with a long list of credits. And I'll later mention that I thought he did an outstanding job here. Uh, now, as far as I could determine, Batman uh, City of Light has yet to be collected in any trade paperback form. Descriptions, though, I've seen from online vendors who are selling this comic series, have called it, quote, thrilling, engrossing, and dramatic. And we'll soon find out if Jerry and I agree on that as I turn it over to Jerry for the plot of Batman City of Light. Thanks, Chris. Uh, so now this is called City of Light, so you know that it's going to be about Gotham. And uh, at the opening, Gotham is, as usual, very crime-ridden. There's bad stuff going on all over the place. So Batman is trying to break up a drug deal that's taking place on a fire escape. And when he lands on it, the fire escape collapses due to not only crime but bad building codes, I guess, on Gotham. And it collapses onto the sidewalk onto an innocent kid who just happens to be uh, skateboarding down on the street below. And we'll talk about those building codes later as we go on. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry. That's Please. a great idea. That's a different podcast, right? Yes. <laughs> Batman blames himself, um, and he's wondering how he ever thought that he could be out here doing all this stuff and not hurt innocents you know, that get in the way. So he decides to take an extended break from Batmaning. So he's thinking like if he... Sh What's that? <laughs> I like that. Batmaning. Yeah, yeah Batmaning. Right. He's wondering if he should 
retire completely and let Gotham kind of fend for himself, for itself. Which leaves uh, Cassandra Kane, who is Batgirl at this time, to try to take over and fill Batman's shoes. So with, you know, Bruce not doing it anymore. Now, there's also a local businessman that's also concerned about all the crime in the city named Evan Slate. And he goes in front of Gotham's planning committee, uh, and a member of the committee is Bruce Wayne. And he pitches this idea to remake Gotham City into the shining vision of Neo-Gotham. The new city has buildings that actually glow in the dark due to this bioluminescent building material, which turns out to be made from Slate's own DNA. No, wait a minute. Are you saying Slate's own DNA? I mean, how, how does this DNA. get off the ground? Okay, I, 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 I really had a problem with that, and so I. So did I. I'm glad you. Yeah. Okay. Like Jerry said, his own DNA. Stop yeah. and think about that. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Plot point alert. Right. Yes. <laughs> this thank is you. not going to end well. <laughs> so the idea is that the coating from the new buildings that they built would spread to old ones. So it would automatically integrate all of them into a new Gotham City. And he's got a couple of buildings made out of the material to show the tech off, right? What could go wrong? I can't what could imagine. possibly go wrong? Absolutely. <laughs> so later, um, Slate, uh, some of the members of the planning committee, and some of Slate's hangers-on, including Angela Stiles and Celia Lambruglia, they head to an art show by a group called the Submergists. Bruce is fascinated by this painting. It's an eerie figure staring out at the viewer. You can't see the figure, but you can see the, the, uh, the slits of eyes glowing through. And he decides he wants to buy it. He and Slate have a bidding war, but Bruce wins out. And the painting is by one of the Submergists named Ron. So later the party ends and uh, some... Some of your normal Gotham shenanigans go on. But afterwards, a figure in a luminescent suit sets off a bomb that destroys a building across the street from the Submergist's art show. And the word purge is spray painted on a nearby wall. It looks like spray paint. Mm -hmm. So there's criminal, this explosion causes chaos in the street. And there's all kinds of crime going on. And Batgirl shows up and she stops some looting. Batman watches her, he looks on, but he's too paralyzed by fear and self-doubt uh, that he's going to hurt some of these innocent bystanders, and he can't bring himself to act. So Slate is worried about the committee, the building committee, approving his idea of Neo-Gotham. And he's in his office, fretting about it, and we see that there's a glowing white suit hanging in his office, which is this looks to be the same one that we saw set up the bomb earlier. He remembers this time, he's thinking back, and he remembers uh, going to a masquerade party with his wife where he wore this phosphorescent suit. He and his wife were hijacked, uh, carjacked, and his wife was killed, and he vows he will never wear the suit again. So um, we're wondering, you know, what's going on with this suit and who set off the bomb? And it's like this very luminescent, it's sort of depicted as, I don't know, what would you call this, like a... Uh, Phosphorus-looking suit or uh, fluorescent, sort of uh, illuminating, I guess, for sure. We could say that. Yeah, it's like a bioluminescent suit, if you've ever seen a bioluminescent pond or anything. Right, there you go. Good call. So we go down to the GCPD, and we see Renee Montoya and her partner, uh, Christmas Allen, and they're interviewing someone, uh, a derelict, 
who saw the perpetrator of this explosion in Gotham, and he says that it was done by a man who was glowing, and this this glowing man set off the bomb. Also in Gotham, uh, Cassandra Kane is on a date with uh, a Javier, but she's having trouble getting close to him. Every time there's kind of they start to get romantically close, she gets a flashback uh, with her assassin father training her to be this killer, and that is not a good thing on it to be thinking about on a date. It definitely ruins the mood. I know I hate it when that happens. I do too, and I think uh, this is something. This is a key part of the story to remember because yeah. this 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 is uh, just sort of bookmark that definitely. So Bruce is trying just to be another citizen of Gotham City, uh, but he can't help himself from stopping petty criminals when he sees crime. He's you know a billionaire on the subway, and when he sees a robbery, he tries to stop it. It's kind of like uh, Bloomberg, kind of you know why is he on the subway, but. He is. So later, he and Cass, they both see the bat signal in the sky. It's supposed that we're at a period where they're not supposed to be using the bat signal. And so it's very curious that it's in the sky. So he and Cass show up to the rooftop and they find Ron and his art rep, Angela Stiles. And they have kind of taken control of the bat, sig- bat signal. And they ask Batman if he would sit for a portrait that uh, they want Ron to. Uh, to paint of him, and Batman ang- angrily refuses, and it really ticks him off. So after they kind of leave the rooftop, he finds Batgirl nearby, and he tells her to get off the streets, right? This Batman shtick is mine, and you shouldn't be doing this without me out here. And this really upsets Cass, and she sulks off to a nearby rooftop. But she looks up in the sky, and there's a luminescent figure flying through uh, the sky of Gotham, Gotham, and where it goes, there's an explosion and it destroys a parking structure near Wayne Tower. Luckily, Wayne Tower is, is built like a, uh, a fortress and it's not hurt. And she goes and see, she sees the word purge again written on a nearby wall. And she goes over to the paint and she realizes that the paint is glowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another plot point. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Batman is really upset at his paralysis, his self-doubt. He decides to suit up and go to Ron's studio, where he offers to sit for the painting for Ron. So as as he's sitting, Angela kind of peeks through the door and sees that Ron's painting Batman. And she lets Slate know that this artwork that he wants has begun. So Slate wants to show the painting. He wants to have this painting of Batman so he can show Gotham's old dark past as opposed to the the bright future of Neo-Gotham that he wants to build. So Batman leaves and Slate shows up and offers to buy the painting when it's done but Ron refuses. And all of a sudden they're they're discussing it and arguing about it and all of a sudden Slate gets a vision of Celia uh, uh, one of his subordinates being hurt. So he races to the office and she seems to imply as she's dying, right? She seems to imply that it was Batman that did this to her. Even though the luminescent suit is hanging on, on the wall again, and it's looking on somehow guiltily as if a luminescent suit could do that, but it does. And Slate blames Batman, and he vows revenge. So Batman goes to the hospital uh, and sits at the side of that kid that was hurt earlier by the collapsing fire escape, and the youngster dies. 
uh, Batman is very, very upset, and he kind of goes into a rage. He goes out to Gotham, and he nearly kills a robber, and he's being, like, vicious and very not Batman-y. So he returns to sit for Ron again, and they have a discussion, and they talk about kind of life and uh, the meaning of life, and uh, Ron tells uh, Batman this uh, submerges credo, this art group's credo, which is to become the man, you must first become the beast. So there's an explosion out in Gotham, and Batman goes to it. He finds that Cass is already on the scene and sees the figure in the glowing suit uh, spray-painting Purge on a wall. Uh, the, uh, Cass and this figure fight, but Cass gets knocked out by a bomb, and Batman arrives and carries her away to the Batcave because she's hurt, but she's going to be okay. Um, they take care of her with Alfred. Uh, Batman runs off. He gets an email from Oracle that shows Slate in that glowing suit uh, picture from that masquerade party that he went to. And after he leaves, Cass kind of wakes up and also sees the email. So Slate goes to Gotham City Hall for another planning committee meeting. And they've decided, the committee has decided that due to the recent explosions in Gotham City, that they're going to play things safe. And they reject this new idea, this neo-Gotham idea. I thought the uh, DNA would have had something to do with it, but I guess I was wrong. It was <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that wasn't a factor, but uh, no. just just, uh, <laughs> the just health department this other decided yeah. that this was a bad idea, right? Yes. So um, Angela offers to go out uh, for a drink with him, and the two kiss, and Slate gives her the key card to his apartment. So Ron sees this, and he's got a thing for Angela, and he's uh, becomes jealous. So Batman is, again, sitting for Ron for his painting. And the glowing suit guy, Purge, bursts in on them and attacks Batman. So Purge takes the nearly completed painting and sets off a bomb that it just destroys the submerged building. Uh, everybody seems, you know, uh, Ron's okay. But Batman is buried in rubble and is really, really messed up. He's at the bottom of this pile of building. And kind of decides now to become the beast. So, with this destruction in Gotham, Cass arrives on the scene, there are cops there, and he te uh, she tells Montoya and Allen that Slate and Purge are one and the same person. So, Angela overhears this and decides to let them use the key card to get into the building, uh, this bioluminescent building that Slate gave her earlier. So, Purge calls to Slate turns out that they're not the same person. He goes to the experimental tower, the bioluminescent tower, and it turns out that Purge has taken Ron to the tower uh, as well and gives Slate the Batman painting. Purge is this monster that Slate has unwittingly created out of his own DNA, right? We knew something was going to happen, so this is it. And uh, uh, Purge is responding to Slate's will. So, you know, Slate wanted to hurt Batman for, for killing his subordinate. So Purge went and attacked him. Uh, Slate tells Ron to destroy the painting of Batman so they can symbolically rid Gotham of this filthy, evil, old Batman spirit. And Ron just can't do it. Cass arrives, and she fights to save Ron. Uh, Ron stabs Purge with a knife, but it doesn't hurt uh, Purge at all. He pulls out the knife, the knife and attacks Cass with it. 
and all four of them just get into a tumble-down fight. And Purge throws another bomb, which seems to be Purge's thing, and uh, explodes some welding tanks. So Purge gets Slate and Ron to safety, and Cass escapes on the bat cycle just in the nick of time in a, in a kind of an exciting kind of jump off the side of the building with an explosion behind her. Kind of like a diehard kind of thing. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's very exciting. Very cinematic. Yep. Uh, Montoya, Allen, and Angela arrive in the building. They use the key card to get in to try to find Slate. So the building itself kind of starts to come alive. The walls move and uh, separate the three from each other into separate rooms. So it's trying to protect Slate. Sort of in a globular way, would you say, Jerry? In other words, we don't have like your uh, mechanical uh, walls being pushed into each other. This is sort of, this is very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's organic. It's like Yes, very organic. Thank you. Yeah, it's really alive. So, um so they, it separates them into these small little rooms and moves them around the building. And so it's actually, you know, it's created with Slate's DNA and it's moving to protect him from them. He recognizes that they're here to cause trouble for Slate. So Purge uh, and the building get Angela to the room that Slate and Ron are in. So Angela uh, tells Ron that she had nothing to do with Slate. This is not my fault. And Slate tries to recruit her, but she angrily refuses that she doesn't want anything to do with this uh the gcpd shows up and they have the building surrounded so meanwhile back at the bottom of the submerges building uh batman emerges from the rubble and he's become the beast he's turned into a vicious creature and Cass finds him and is shocked at his transformation and the pair of them go into this building the experimental building and try to make their way to slate so the building is morphing to try to stop their progress. So Alan is squeezed into a very small room. He's um, he, he's afraid of tight spaces, but Batman crashes through the wall and saves him. And Montoya's room tries to actually push her out from very high up to kind of throw her down and kill her on the sidewalk. And Cass is able to save her. So Batman, you know, they collect the, the two GCPD cops, and Batman has Cass lead them out of the building to safety as he goes on to fight Purge and Slate. So Purge hijacks a police helicopter and crashes it into another one. So there's all kinds of uh, helicopter problems going on. And he kind of gets on top of the building and, and you know, channels some kind of DNA energy and causes the building to kind of come alive. And it starts to mutate. It spreads. The DNA starts to spread along to the rest of Gotham. And the building launches spikes and destroys more police helicopters. So the building is is really now uh, uh, a villain as it tries to protect Slate. Meanwhile, Slate is getting a little kooky. He's, and that's not an understatement. <laughs> yeah, he's starting to... It turns out all these conversations he was having with uh, uh, Purge really had been going on in his head. So he's kind of talking to himself. So Purge and Batman finally confront each other. Uh, they fight. Purge gets his arm disconnected. And uh, it doesn't... You know, it seems fine. He, he, he launches another bomb. It starts a fire. And Batman heads up an elevator shaft to get to the top where um, 
you know, he's going up to where Slade is. But he goes into a room where the fire sprinklers kind of wash all this rubble and dirt off him, off of him. So he's now transcended. He's no longer the beast. He's become Batman again, a man. So uh, Batman finally finds and chases Slate, and the two dangle off the side of this glowing building. And Slate goes to fall, and but he catches himself on a handle on, on the side of the building. But it causes like a shelf or the building to tear a little bit. And as it pulls away, a, a horde of bats fly out of it, black bats. So the building is made from his DNA. Uh, and so it, it expresses him fully, his personality and his spirit. And that includes all of the darkness that he has inside of him. So he realizes this about himself. He sees this darkness that he must have in himself. And as he does, he realizes he is not this white figure, that he has this evil inside him. So Purge collapses and Slate falls, but Batman saves him. So the building now stops attacking the city now that Slate has realized the truth about himself. So Slate goes to Arkham Asylum, which is, I think, a good place for him. And his building has now turned black, obsidian black. And Rom now paints Gotham. And Cass, she has some time off now. She goes out on a date. And Batman is back out on patrol now that Cass finally has the night off. The end. The end. Well done. Well, <laughs> su- well done with that summation. Yeah, thank you. I... It was uh, it. It was a pretty pretty interesting story. What do you think about it? Well, I'll start off with the artwork. Um, that that was one of the main things that uh, really impressed me with the, with the work itself. This art style is unique, uh, and that said, it took me a while to get settled into it. I I have I hate to go there, but I'll go there. You have to get used to some of the way these characters look in the Panthers Brothers story. They have slanted eyes. I said it. I don't think this was an intentional knock, though, to go against any racial caricature, though. Um, I've sought out the Panther Brothers' work after this story just to kind of do a comparison and contrast, and they pretty much do this across the board. Um, one thing I thought was really nice, right on the first issue in the splash page, uh, there was a nice uh, cityscape scene that I thought was very much in the spirit, notice the pun, for uh, like Will Eisner, with a Will Eisner opening story uh, work there. Um, the art did, though, get a bit abstract and two-dimensional for me in some places. Uh, there was, it looked kind of two-dimensional. Uh, Batman had this very very exaggerated jawline in, in numerous panels and places. And this was even more so than uh, Chester Gould's Dick Tracy than back in the day. Uh, now, on the positive side, the Painter Brothers do one of the finest depictions of a Cassandra Kane Batgirl, I think, that you'll ever see anywhere. Um, the colors were outstanding, uh, more so with with the hues of purple and sunset and cityscapes. Uh, this this was really really well done from an art standpoint. Um, I don't know if we want to break it down by art and by writing, but Jerry, I'll throw it back to you with respect to the art. Did you have any comments with that? Well, I thought this one was a lot lighter, and you know, with the building being light and, and glowing, and this was lighter and sunnier than the the previous bat books we've talked about, which were very dark and rainy and gloomy. So this was bright, but it was interesting that the menace in this story came from the light 
not from the dark. And I thought that was an interesting kind of uh, contradiction that worked pretty well for me. Wow, that's a good point. I didn't even stop to consider that. I was more looking at it as uh, sort of metaphorically looking at the bigger picture. Uh, But, yeah, that's a good call there. Yeah. And I really like the Dick Tracy uh, reference you made. The, the style is, is cartoony, uh, but I think it works very well for this story. It's not as realistic and grim as the previous ones that we've reviewed on this uh, podcast. So, um, so yeah, I thought it, I thought it worked, uh, visually worked well. And what did you think? I know you, you referred to the plot. What did you think about the story here? You know, well, first, let me get one thing out of the way. Um, it's really great that I, I, I feel really proud to have been tapped to do this because it makes me re-examine stories that uh, I haven't reread. Um, back in back around this time, I tended to be a one and done reader with with when this initially came out, and I haven't revisited it since uh, this initially appeared. And I, I hate to say it, I kind of forgot about the story. I remembered some of the characters and covers, but um, I am glad I got another chance to reread this. As far as the story itself goes, I'm, I'm trying to frame this in such a way where it's it's this doesn't sound like I'm being disrespectful or um, derogatory. I thought this was kind of Marvel-esque in a way with, with, with the frame of a Marvel comic story. I think this is a plot that I would see something experimental done with a city uh, that you necessarily wouldn't find in a DC story versus a Marvel story versus uh, a character that's more of a psychological character than a uh, straightforward two-dimensional villain uh, that, that tended to be in Batman's Rogues Gallery early on with, with a theme and, and uh, a gimmick and what have you. So I thought that was interesting. That said, I thought in some places we did get into some murky waters. There was the psychological bit with Batman restraining himself. I, I don't know if we've, if I've ever seen him come to a point where Jerry refreshed my memory. Was he, did he take himself out of action for, was it four weeks, three weeks? It, it was, it was, I think four. It was quite, yeah. quite a lot of time and people were and noticing I, I, that he was gone. Right. And I just, I thought that was very unusual and kind of a risk with, with the story taking that I'm, I'm trying to ask myself, could I see Batman actually pulling himself away? And if, if, for that length of time, and would anybody of else from the Bat family kind of intervened and had some intervention and say, hey, Bruce, you know, kind of snap out of this. You're, you're, you're kind of in this funk. But we really don't see any exterior characters or from the Bat cast other than Cassandra and Alfred. Right. And they're doing what they can, but it, it, I just thought that it didn't seem like much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one moment I had, too, I had to ask myself, in what story would I see Batman himself agreeing to pose for a portrait? I don't think I'd see that in a present Batman story. Well, maybe in Rebirth. I don't know. But I, I just don't think this was a Batman I was used to. Certainly the Batman 66 would pose for a statue like he did <laughs> in a Mad Hatter episode. But I, I just, gee, would Batman willingly go to have his portrait and I don't know. I don't that that that. It was but odd. I had to suspend my disbelief a little bit. And yes, he posed. I don't know whether he shaved or did anything to alter <laughs> his appearance and put on a clean costume. But here we here he did it. Uh, <laughs> I, I just it, it took me a while to wrap wrap myself around it and and uh, go along with with that. Uh, this this was a unique uh, direction to take the story in, and this this did suit the purpose of the story. Mm-hmm. When we see Batman struggle with his internal uh, 
self and demons, if you will, uh, to, to try to get himself to that threshold. That was very uh, depicted in a very graphic manner. He's he's growling, he's grunting. Everything didn't make yeah. sense when he's talking to Cassandra when he's when he's uh, trying to get himself um, absolved and, and, and free of this uh, inner demon thing. Uh, it was it was a unique take. Um, did the story seem to go a little too long for you? Was the pacing consistent as what you thought? In other words, let me ask you this. Do you th- yeah. think this could have been told in six issues as opposed to eight? I think I, – I didn't think that this was too long. I don't, okay. I don't think – I mean, we had a couple of things that were a little repetitive. But I thought that the whole arc, Bruce's arc through this, I think worked. Uh, in in for what it was, you know, he he was feeling guilty and and became violent and you know because of of hurting an innocent and he has regret and paralysis and self doubt and then he becomes a beast and then he kind of redeems himself. So I thought that the the Bruce Batman arc pretty much worked. So I think it kind of held the whole thing together that made it interesting enough. To, to keep going, though I don't think that the trigger for for him turning from the beast to the man, you know, it was just some sprinklers that washed the dirt off him. And I didn't. I think I would have appreciated a little bit more of a, you know, click. This this is the realization that he had. Other than that's a fair point, Jerry. I I I have to ask you this. I feel compelled to ask you this. Sure. Could you see Batman actually agreeing to sit for a portrait? Very difficult. And especially in this case where Ron is kind of giving him advice about life. Oh, yeah. You know, it was just a little cringe-inducing. Um, it, it was it was very, very odd. And I'm not sure, I guess by having an artist as one of the main characters in this story, it, became, it gave him something to do. But I'm not sure that this story really needed that. Um, and it, it seemed a little extra to me and um, not worth the risk that, you know, by, by having this out-of-character thing happen, it didn't seem like it was worth the storytelling risk to have this happen. And so I thought that that was a little, a little weak. Okay, good point. What, one thing that I wanted to know from from you that has, you know, you've got a lot of uh, knowledge about the history of these characters, and I'm interested in hearing what you thought about Cass and her personality and how she was depicted here. Um, thank you for asking. Uh, I really, from an artistic sta- standpoint, as I previously mentioned, I, this is a great-looking uh Cassandra Kane Batgirl, when she's in action, there's you can see the fluidity, you can see the gracefulness that this character had. You could see um, just the elements of her uh, slick fighting technique, how she swings through uh, the sky on a, on, a, on a, the bat line. Mm-hmm. Some really great stuff. And as a Cassandra Kane, uh, not in costume, but you know, in her civilian self. Yeah. Again, good stuff here. I wish we had a little bit more of it because I thought this was one of the better depictions. The I thought there was a real good grasp and handle on the character. Mm-hmm. I I really wanted to see a little bit more of this explored and and, and brought to the table with this story. Um, this this was one of the things that I, I thought was one of the stronger suits of the story itself. I, I wanted to see more of her and Oracle 
together. Yes. And, you know, that's just my kind of, I, I really like Barbara as Oracle, and I really like Cass as Batgirl. So I think that that was, that could have been even stronger. Jerry, one question I had for you. Did you have any problems following the story itself? I know what I'm getting at is this. I noticed there was like a lot of, for to me, seemed like a lot of uh, scene changes mm-hmm. with, you know, flipping a page and, oh, all of a sudden we're here. Oh, all of a sudden we're there. And it took me a while to uh, recognize the characters. Uh, you know, bit. I should have immediately seen, identified Renee and Crispus right off the bat. And it said, oh, this, oh, that's Renee. Okay. Yeah. It just seemed like, um, I don't want to say we, we shifted scenes willy nilly, but in some places I did, it did take me to uh, find my footing when in the scene changes. I agree. I uh, When I was going through to write the synopsis, it took me several times going through to kind of sort everything. Okay, so I wasn't alone. Okay. No, not at all. Not at all. So overall, what, how would you rate this uh, this story? I was torn between a two and a half and a three. Um, some of the things that uh, on the downside was uh, just this, um, the abstract art of Batman just getting a little... Uh, stiff in places the the language uh, the internal uh, conflict he had within himself I think took a little long and of all things him agreeing to pose for a portrait that just <laughs> that just took, that was something I, I had some difficulty wrapping myself around the positives though we had an excellent depiction of a Cassandra Cain uh, Batgirl there was some nice bits with the colors there was some nice uh, unique angle with the story with the storytelling uh, this was something different um two and a half and a three I'll, I'll be generous and go three i don't think it was it was that you know i think this was this if i'm saying two and a half i'm, I'm calling it average so i think this was this was a little bit better than that with despite the flaws i had i'll, I'll go three uh batterings out of five how about you? I, I was struggling between three and three and a half, and I think the reason that I might have liked it a little more than you is because I I was really starting to get tired of that dark Gotham and mm. just a brighter, kind of breezier story. Even though you know Bruce is going through this real kind of uh, mental crisis, uh, it, it seemed a little lighter hearted than the previous stories we've been. We've been and how nice about. is that for a change? That's a great point. That's an excellent point. Yeah, so, I mean, and I enjoyed reading it. You know, it was a page turner for me. I didn't get to a certain point and think, oh, when is this going to stop? You know, I, it was just, I, uh, it kept me interested. So I think, you know, for those reasons, I would probably give it either a three or a three and a half. I'll go with three and a half just to, just to be a little different. Okay, and would you call this a must-read? I don't think so. I think there's nothing, as far as I know, that's important in continuity or an insight into any of the characters and any of the Bat Family characters that kind of persists, you know, past this story. It's a good story, but I don't think it's a classic. What do you think? I'm in agreement with you. I think if you're a Cassandra Cain Batgirl completist, I, I certainly would point you in this direction and just at least keep this on your radar for that. Uh, but I, I'm in agreement. Um, uh, Continuity-wise, nothing here. Um, we, we haven't seen these uh, characters return or any previously mention of it. Uh, we, we do get some nice uh, fixtures of, of Gotham City depicted, what have you. But um, must read? Mm, no, I, I would not say so. Yeah, yeah. So that's terrific. Now, 
we uh, this is episode 153. So at the time of this uh, recording, we just released our Death in the Maidens podcast. So we got uh, some really good, a really terrific discussion about the book on the Batman Universe uh, uh, page on the podcast. I wanted to. Uh, uh, give a shout out to Ian Miller, or we call him uh, Ian Prime. Sometimes. Ian Prime. <laughs> yeah. And he had thank you, terrific, sir. Yes, thank you so much, Ian. He had some great insights into the art of the issue, and um, had really good good thoughts and good discussion about why Nisa and Talia were drawn the way they were, and um, just talking about their uh, characterizations. I thought that was really interesting. Indeed. You know, I, I, it, it sort of uh, heartens you to hear somebody else's take on it, much less taking the time to write and, yeah. and provide that feedback. But um, when you initiate a discussion, I think you're giving you're keeping the podcasters on their toes and you're giving them food for thought. And yeah. I think that's really invaluable just with any ideas you have in regards to uh, respect to an issue. Yeah. That That is so rewarding on, on so many levels. So I, I can't thank you enough even. Yeah. So... I encourage any listeners, if you're interested in that book, Death and the Maidens, or uh, Taliel Ghoul, to go back and read the comments and feel free to chime in. There's some really, really good stuff. And Chris, thank you so much for your, uh, as I say, encyclopedic knowledge of this. <laughs> it was I love, I love, I I, you know, there was just that sweet spot in the 70s and 80s that I just happened to grow up in. And, uh, you know, that those memories sort of get ingrained with you. And, and with that, and as you said, you know, when you're talking about uh, the support, I, I just want to remind the listeners out there if they want to support our podcast yeah. and anything in the uh, Batman Universe Family podcast or the website where Jerry Green writes excellent reviews, oh, um, you can follow the link uh, to Patreon on the homepage too. And I just want to plug that real quick. Yeah, definitely support the BatmanUniverse.net. So thank you, and that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and please. Leave comments so we know what you liked and how we can do better and anything you want to talk about. We'd love, we had a great time doing it before. And What are we reviewing next time, I wonder? Well, next time, if you join us, we'll be covering the Supergirl from Krypton. Oh, I can't wait. I this is going to be a great show. I yes, can't wait for this. Me too. We hope everybody joins us again. So I'm Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we're saying goodbye for now. And thank you for tuning in to Bat Books for Beginners. <laughs>